Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Oh, I better grab my glasses just sometimes sometimes praise the lord a young successful couple had found oh they're not in here what i do they must be in my they just in there they are a young successful couple had found their dream home and they shortly after they purchased it they were at their table having breakfast and the wife looked out the window and to her surprise she saw her neighbor hanging dirty laundry on the clothesline that laundry isn't clean she told her husband that's still dirty Someone needs to teach her a thing or two when it comes to washing clothes. A couple of days later, the same couple sat down at their table for another meal, and the wife saw her neighbor hanging clothes on the clothesline, but this time something was different. Wow, she said. Her clothes are clean. Someone must have taught her how to wash her clothes. Without raising his hand from his plate, her husband kindly responded, actually, honey, I got up early this morning and washed our windows. <laughs> and so that's what the moral of that is. Sometimes you think people have something wrong, but really it's not the people that have something wrong. It might be the window you're looking through. <laughs> you don't see things as they are most of the time. You see things as you are. Just we need to wash our windows. Hallelujah. Change our perspective. And I don't know what you have found to change your perspective, but for me, nothing but the Word of God has helped me to see things. You know, it's one thing to be forgiven. It's a whole other thing to be able to forgive. And really, you really don't know you've been forgiven. You don't understand it. You don't, haven't really received it unless you are able to freely give it. In fact, the first real un understanding uh, that you have received it is that you're able to give it. Because then you understand that you're much more blessed to give than to receive. You know, those are the hot sauce words of Jesus, you know, in the book of Acts when Paul is talking about when Jesus was talking to him, and he said to the leaders of the church, and he said, remember those words, it's much more, you're much more blessed to give than to receive. And that's not just talking about money, but in every aspect of redemption, being able to give mercy. We all want to receive it, but, you know, like someone said, we judge others by their actions, we judge ourselves by our intentions, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, I just encourage you to just be uh, strong in that with the word of God uh, as you're guiding. I like to tell people, fence your yard in with your, the word of God and and begin to uh, make decisions. Like we said last night, you know, they say you make thirty five thousand decisions every day and those decisions ultimately don't just change your day. They change your destiny. And if you begin to make decisions in light of what God's word says, now I'm telling you, 
God's word is not just information. It's revelation. It's not a man-made, you know, this will make your life better message, although it will make your life better. It's not just information. It's revelation. It is a living word. The same life that is in God is in his word. And the word of God, I mean, I, I, I was reading some things concerning the word of God that just, uh, uh, I just, you know, people are sometimes uh, unaware of the, the, uh, uh, the, the word of God, the history of the literal, literal word of God. Uh, it, it really is something that if you just didn't even, you think, oh, I just don't believe. But if you found out the history of the word of God, it would make you take a second look. There's something about this book. It's not just a book of information. It's a book, uh, you know, uh, you may have heard this, but it bears repeating, written over a period of over 1,600 years by more than 40 people from all walks of life, fishermen, politicians, generals, kings, shepherds, historians, born on three different continents, wrote in three different languages on hundreds of different subjects, yet they wrote in perfect agreement and harmony. They wrote in dungeons, temples, beaches, hillsides, during peacetime, during wartime, but their words all sound like they come from the same source. Ten people today could not write on one controversial subject and all agree. Uh, Ten people, but here we have 40 different people from all different walks of life, 1,600 years, and yet the, these very different people, what they were have written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has stood the test of time. The very first book ever to be printed was a Bible, ever to be printed. It's been read by more people than any other book in history. Uh, I could tell you some other things about it, but the fact is the French philosopher Voltaire, who is a skeptic, who destroyed the faith of many people with his uh, uh, humanistic ideas, he boasted that within 100 years of his death, the Bible would disappear from the face of the earth. Voltaire died in 1728. How many of you got a Bible today? But that, the irony of it is that 50 years after his death, death, the Geneva Bible Society moved into his former house and used his printing presses to print thousands of Bibles. <laughs> Glory to God. Shut up, devil. Oh, Hallelujah. And listen to this. The Bible, uh, this is from Barton Payne's Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy. They say there are 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament, 578 prophecies in the New Testament, a total of 1,817 prophecies that uh, encompasses over 8,000 verses in the Bible. Uh, they concluded uh, there are at least 456 passages in the Old Testament that Jewish rabbis have historically interpreted as being about the Messiah. 450, uh, what did I say, 456. So this, uh, they were doing this uh, 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 article on that. And they said, what would be the odds of just eight of those prophecies coming true? Now, there's 456 of them. 
of them in the Old Testament. The odds of just eight of them coming true, and I could tell you where they are, but I won't do that for time's sake. The odds of eight of coming true are mathematically written as 10 to the 14th power or a 10 with 14 zeros after it. Literally, uh, the odds of just eight prophecies coming to pass would be the same as finding one red silver dollar among a hundred trillion silver dollars. The silver dollars, you say, how many is a hundred trillion? You could cover the state of Texas to a depth of about two feet, blindfold a man. He would wander over the entire state, choose one coin at random. He would have the same chance of finding the red coin in one as those prophets had for accurately predicting those eight events hundreds of years before they happened. That's just for eight of them coming true, but the the fact is there are 456 prophecies concerning the Messiah Jesus that have been validated by Jewish rabbi historians and guess what you can't even there it's incomprehensible there is not even it's not even possible for you to express the odds of fulfilling all 100 uh, 456 but did you know there are more prophecies about Jesus second coming than his first coming Woo! And guess what? You are the ones who are here to bring the evidence. Hebrews says in uh, Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together uh, as, some of us have, as some of us have done, even more so as you see the day approaching. There were signs that gave evidence of his first coming and one of the most important signs that give evidence of his second coming is the gathering or assembling together people, men and women from all walks of life with all different kinds of backgrounds, all different uh, liabilities and assets, but we join together in one place with one purpose that is greater than all of our problems and God's presence among us changes us from being nobodies to being somebodies. It matters that we're here. We are the evidence not only that Jesus lived, but he's coming again. Hallelujah. Woo! I could stir you up with the Word of God. I mean, some of the things I, about the Word of God, but I just want to uh, uh, put a little itch on the inside of you that the Word of God is a valuable treasure. And the more you understand and literally take the light of the New Testament and let it be, before you try to understand Leviticus, understand the book of John. Because you see, if you try to understand Leviticus, it's like, it's like walking in a room without the light on. You need the light of the new to see the in the shadow of the old. You are a product of the New Testament. The Word of God, the, all of the Bible is written to you, but not all of the Bible is about you. But when you find out what the Bible says about you, 
It's like, you know, you get, you know, before if I turn on my uh, GPS or, you know, on my maps and I want to go somewhere, they don't just ask me where I'm going. They also either want, you know, my location service so they will know where I'm at. So I have to let, if I want to be able to get somewhere else, I have to first be able to locate where I am. And when you get the light of the New Testament, you locate where you are and what, who you are right now so that then as you begin to understand all the mysteries of God that have been stored up, that have all been to bring us to the knowledge, of the saving knowledge, of Jesus Christ, you begin to see them differently. Instead of letting somebody who knows nothing about the Bible, who knows nothing about God, post some scripture reference from some obscure location and let them, you know, usually from the Old Testament, and then let them try to uh, influence you as to why you should not believe the Bible. Are you serious? I mean, bless your darling heart and stupid head, as Brother Hagin used to say. Don't let anybody mess with your love for the Word of God, your love for the church, especially somebody, you know, well, nobody. But I'm telling you, the world is trying, hoping that you will give up on the things of God because the devil's best hope, I mean, darkness by definition means the absence of light. I mean, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if, you know, if you're a liar, your only hope of somebody believing the lie is that nobody will ever come around you with the truth. Your worst enemy is somebody who knows the truth. If you are somebody whose whole fun- you function only in darkness, what would be the one thing you would try your best to not have happen? The light, you know, darkness by definition means the absence of light. The devil's only hope is that you will never turn the light on. That's his only hope. He's already lost. He's already defeated. But he's just hoping you won't tell anybody. Praise the Lord. Oh, glory to God. But, you know, the Bible does tell us this, and I'm going to just read this to you out of, uh, before we get to this other part, I'm going to skip down here. Uh, because you say, well, what, do, what should we do during this time when people are, uh, are walking away from the things of God? And as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me read this. There you go. I'll get it just a second. Hold on here. Thank you so much, Miss Kendra. Thank you. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to a, a Timothy, who's a pastor of a church uh, in Ephesus. And uh, during this time, this church is suffering. Uh, things are, are getting, you know, bad. In fact, he talks about how uh, uh, the... Uh, he, he talks about, in verse 11, we'll just read it this. He said, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and in Iconium and Lystra, persecutions I endured. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He's talking to him about, you know, that was when he got, you know, drug out to the edge of town and they, they stoned him. 
and they left him for dead, and all the disciples gathered around him, and the Lord raised him up. He said, the Lord delivered me out. He said, there's going to be some hard places where people just trying to get rid of you. But he said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of them, knowing from whom you have learned them. From a child, you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He says there are evil things going on and they're getting worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue. You must, everybody say, I must continue. What is the answer the Holy Ghost gives during times? Listen, the Holy Spirit isn't telling us these things to scare us. He's telling us so we will be prepared. We will know what to do. What do I do when everything in the world, it's just like things are getting worse and worse. Continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of knowing whom you have learned them. In other words, I like what uh, the, the uh, Greek says about this. It's, it's, it's like somebody has said, I will stay put. I will abide. I will not budge from my spot. I will not move. He said, regardless of what is happening around me, I'm staying with the word of God. Hallelujah. The word of God has proven the test of time. It's been proven. It's a well-proven word from God. It will hold you steady when everything in this world is falling apart. And everything in this world is falling apart. But there is a light that shines through the darkness. And if you will continue, you say, what do I do? Just stay with it. Stay with it. He said, yeah, but, you know, it doesn't always seem easy. No, it doesn't matter if it's easy. I like what Dodie Osteen said. Dodie Osteen is the daughter, a daughter, uh, a mother of Joel Osteen. Uh, John and Dodie Osteen founded the church that, for those of you who don't know, that Joel pastors today. We used to go minister at their church a lot. One of the things that happened to us when we were at their church is we had done like a Friday-Saturday meeting, something with singles, uh, things like that. And, and uh, Pastor John Osteen was such a, I mean, he just, he was such a great guy. He just walked through, he'd come to the back of the, meet, you know, meetings and just, he just, he was just, he was just a pastor, wonderful pastor. But it was 15 minutes before the Sunday morning service and Pastor John Osteen is preaching and we're supposed to, I think we were supposed to sing special music that morning because we had to have had a I thought Cindy says no but what happens is Pastor John Osteen is walking down the aisle and we're kind of talking 15 minutes before the Sunday morning service that John Osteen starts and he looks over and says I'd like y'all to lead praise this morning 
mean, they've got their band up there, you know. I mean, here we are. I was like, glory to God. Now, Cindy acts real bold, but she looks at me and says, Lois, what do we do? <laughs> so I don't remember the songs we sang, but I remember we did it. And after we got through, he got up and said, you know, I always forget how good you are. <laughs> I'm like, well, thank you, Lord. But I'm just telling you that there is a, a, a that there's just some the things that if you will persevere and even when you're not comfortable and even when you think I just can't do this, no, you can do it. Find some different words, different ways of expressing uh, what you think about yourself. Get them from God, and you will walk right in to the will of God. I want to give you, uh, well, let me read you what Dodie Osteen said. She said, some things are not easy, but we just keep going. If they are hard, just keep going. God will take care of you, and you have something good ahead. Well, you know, the best evidence that there's something good ahead is if there seems to be an, a mountain or an obstacle or some big issue that's blocking you from making any progress. The biggest uh, uh, indicator that there is something good ahead is something's messing with you because your faith is made to move mountains. That's what it's for. You say, well, I have faith so I won't have any mountains. No, no. You don't have faith so you don't have any mountains. You have faith so the mountains don't have you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so I know what time it is here, and I know I, gotta, I, do have, I, got, I am on a time schedule, but God's on a time schedule too. So I'm going to read you. I want to read you a couple of things here from the Word of God concerning finishing. Hallelujah. I want you to finish. I don't want you to just start. I want you to finish. Listen, the Bible says that we should, uh, well, I, I think I'll get it down here. Uh, well, we'll get down to it. The Bible says that finishing is better than starting. And everybody wants to start. Everybody likes to start new things. And if all you ever like to do in your life is start new things, you will never finish. Because you'll always be letting go, you'll lose momentum, and then you'll go to something else, and you will never get to the finish line. So I encourage you. You say, well, I just need something new. No, you need something true. You need something that's true that will stand the test of time and ride your way through that hard place. If you give up because you didn't like or it wasn't you didn't like this or that wasn't good or whatever, I'm just telling you, you're gonna you're, you'll never see the finish line. And you're made to finish. That's what Ecclesiastes 7:8 says. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Finishing is better than starting, the New Living Translation says. Endings are better than beginnings, the message Bible says. Sticking to it is better than standing out. Sticking to it is better than standing out. So let me give you this scripture uh, from, um, let's see if I'll do this first. Let me read you this statement. This is a statement I read recently because the, uh, way you receive the Word of God, the attitude you have as you receive it makes all the difference in whether or not you will really re 
uh, have the effect of it in your life that God's planned. This was a, a statement I read by, he's a pastor, well, he's not a pastor, he's a Bible teacher named Charles Swindoll. And um, I just like reading, you know, eat the hay, leave the stubble. You know what I mean? I like reading after people who've endured. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, because I, you know, if you've been there, you like to have that saying, you know, you're not just this theory, this is practice. You know what I mean? And uh, I mean, Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But if you've ever read Hebrews 13, 7, you understand what Hebrews 13, 8 is about. Because Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember those who brought the word to you. Consider, uh, follow their faith considering their end. Considering their end. They brought it to you. Follow their faith. Consider their end. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, the same thing that they got to the end with is the same thing you'll get to the end with. Jesus is not, it's not something new. It's the same thing. It's something true yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. And so, um, uh, Charles Swind, I said all that because Charles Swindoll's lived more than a few years. Anyway, he said, the single most significant decision I can make on a day-to-day -day basis is my choice of attitude. It is more important than my past, my education, my bankroll, my successes or my failures, my fame or my pain, what other people think of me or say about me, my circumstances or my position. Attitude keeps me going or cripples my progress. It alone fuels my fire or assaults my hope. When my attitudes are right, there is no barrier too high, no valley too deep, no dream too extreme, no challenge too great for me. Attitude is more important than facts. It is more important than appearance, ability, or skill. It will make or break a business, a home, a friendship, or an organization. The remarkable thing is I have a choice every day what my attitude will be. I cannot change my past. I cannot change the actions of others. I cannot change the inevitable the only thing I can change is attitude. Now listen to this statement. Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Now most of us would off the cuff think life is 90% what happens to me and 10% how I react to it. No. Life is 10% what happens to you. 90% how you react to it. And because of Jesus, we have an attitude of faith. That means we have an attitude of optimism. That means we have an attitude of victory. That means we have, you can read first, you say, well, how does faith operate? Well, just read 1 Corinthians 13 because it works by love. And so, if you want to operate in, or in any way move in faith, always check your love walk. 
Because if it's not, uh, if it can't be backed up by the, uh, the love of God, and, uh, you know, then, you know, your faith will not get any stronger than your love is. It just won't. I'm a faith person. Well, if you're not also someone who walks in love, you're just kidding yourself. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, so I want to read you this verse concerning um, uh, uh, finishing and, and the way that God will work in you uh, so that you are able to finish. Philippians, my favorite book in the Bible for finishing is Philippians. Philippians was not written near the, near the beginning of Paul's ministry. Uh, he was written toward the end. In fact, he, he talks about in here, you know, I'm, I'm about to be offered up. Uh, he, he says in Philippians, though, I mean, and Philippians was not written, you know, while he was, you know, sipping lemonade on the front porch. <laughs> he was in jail. He was in prison. And he didn't deserve it. You say, I don't deserve the things that have happened to me. It's just not fair. Well, maybe it's not. But there's equal ground for all at the ground of of the cross of Calvary. Uh, Equal redemption for all. Everybody gets the same forgiveness. Everybody gets the same redeeming love. So just go right there and you find a place where it is fair. You're in the wrong place. So, but Philippians 1 verse 6 says this. I love this scripture. Being confident of this very thing, that he, speaking of God, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident of this very thing. You know, this world doesn't give you much reason for confidence. But Paul said, I have every reason for confidence that he, speaking of God, who has begun a good work. Listen, you are not good for nothing. If you've ever heard those words, don't let those words mark who you think you are. God has made you for something good. If you don't know what it is yet, you will find it out if you will continue to look into the Word of God. It's not just information. It's revelation, and that means you will see something. It will be revealed to you what God is wanting you to see concerning His will for your life. And the will of God is progressive as you walk it out. You know, You know, you don't choose the gift. The gift chooses you. Do you hear me? So you don't really know sometimes what that is until you obey in what you do know. So don't worry. You say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, what do you know? Begin to do that. And as you do it, it will begin to unwrap the gift of God in your life. And I'm just telling you, people who know their purpose and why they are living, listen, I'm telling you, those are the people. They don't just, it's not just about, you know, uh, if I got my, you know, a new car or whatever. Oh, you got a new life. And you have a, a, a something that is sustaining to you no matter what season you may go through. Hallelujah. 
I'm not just here to try to give you have a good meeting. I want, you know, I want you to have, I want to see you next year. And you are telling me something, a witness of what God's word has caused you to see in your life. Because I guarantee you that your faith will begin to open up to you a future you did not know was there. Being confident of this very thing, that God who has begun a good work, he didn't just begin a good work. You say, oh, God's doing something good. No, he's doing something good in you. Will fulfill it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation says, I am sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ comes back again. I love this. I think it's love. It's uh, paraphrase. He says, God never began a work he did not finish. His work for us is finished. His work in us is still going on. Woo! You live from the power of a finished work. And although you walk by faith and are progressing in what that work is, you got the uh, assurance of knowing that the God who is at work in you has not just begun something in you, he has put into you not only the beginning, but the finishing power to complete that which he has begun. Barnes' New Testament notes on this says, being confident. He said, this is strong language. It means to be fully and firmly persuaded or convinced. It means here that Paul was entirely convinced of the truth of what he said. It is the language of a man who has no doubt on the subject. It was on the fact that it was be gun by God that he based his firm conviction that it would be permanent. <laughs> Had it been the agency of man, he would have no such conviction for nothing that man does today can lay the foundation of a certain conviction that he will do the same thing tomorrow. I mean, you can write down what you're going to do tomorrow, but that doesn't mean you're going to do it. <laughs> he said, if this was something that you started, I would have no reason to be sure, confident. But because the fact that this was not begun by you, it was not begun by man, it was begun by God, and God never starts something that he doesn't finish. Maybe you do, but God doesn't. Hallelujah. I'm talking to you about finishing. This is the last meeting. We're getting finished here. Hallelujah. Oh, I like this. The Greek word means he will carry it forward to completion. He will perfect it, meaning he would, he would carry it through to the end. God will carry on the work which he has begun. He will not leave it unfinished. He will not abandon it. He has, uh, he has no power. Uh, uh, he, said, uh, he said he will not abandon it because he has no power to complete it or because there are more enemies to be overcome than he thought or because there are difficulties which he did not foresee or because it is not desirable anymore the work should be completed. God abandons nothing that he undertakes. 
There are no unfinished worlds or systems, no half-made or forsaken work of his hands. There is no evidence in his works of creation, of change of plan, or having forsaken what he began from disgust, disappointment, or want of power to complete it. I know it's not TV language, but do you get that? You might have to, you know, get a copy of it and listen to it. Listen to it. I tell people, don't just hear good preaching. Oh, I just want to hear somebody preach good. I tell people, don't just hear good preaching. You want to be a good preacher. It's not just something. The whole reason you hear it is not just so somebody else can say it, but so you can say it. It's not my message. It's the message of God. So it becomes your message when it becomes your word from God. Hallelujah. Boldness is a result of knowledge. You say, I'm just not strong in that area. Well, you can get strong. You can get strong if you find out what God says about that area that you feel so weak in. I challenge you in your weakest area, find a scripture. Find out what God says about that. And then begin to make that your source of information. Watch what happens. Woo, glory to God. God began it, and he will never, he will never abandon it. God began it being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, I like it in the Amplified, he says, he will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will continue it. We talked about that, continuing it. God continually does a work in you day after day, month after month, year after year. He never gets tired. I know we do, but he never does. Isaiah 40, 27 says this. Why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine, O Israel, saying God has lost track of me? He doesn't care what happens to me. I believe this is a message Bible. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. He knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to the dropouts. Even young people get tired and drop out. Young folk uh, in their prime stumble and fall, but those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. Praise the Lord. You need a little bit of that in your green food this morning? Come on. Isn't that good? Oh, I love it. It's so good. So God began it, he said, but then he also said, God will continue it. That's why we must continue. God never gives up on you. Everybody say, God never gives up on me. Even if you give up on him, he never gives up on you. Praise the Lord. Don't Listen, quit telling the stories of everybody who has done you wrong. I'm just telling you, you will never finish if you always have a reason why you are the victim of what somebody else did. 
Everybody in here, I know you think, well, you know, you didn't come from a dysfunctional family. Oh, well, I actually did. But you say, oh, you didn't know what I did. No, listen, even if you came, my, my, I did come from a dysfunctional family. My husband, Ray, I mean, you know, if you've ever seen the Andy Griffith show, and, they're, you know, they're just opiates fishing, and woo-hoo-hoo, I can't whistle, you know. That's, that was my uh, husband, Ray. I mean, he and his brother, I mean, they never heard their mom and dad fight. I mean, you know, they never, I mean, he, one day year when he was on vacation, he said as a young boy, he started crying because he realized he wouldn't be a young boy one day and he wouldn't always be able to live with his mom and dad. And I said, you're crying because you knew you wouldn't live with him. I'm crying because I was living with my <laughs> Oh, glory to God. But I'm here to tell you there is something that's greater than all the damage that's been done to you. There is something that's far greater. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And if you'll take that word and you'll say, thank you, Father, it's not even a close call what the damage that sin has done to my life. It's not even a close call what your grace has done. It is much more. It is far above. It is so much greater. I mean, it's not even a close call. You got so much more by the work of God's grace in Jesus Christ than you ever had affect you because of sin and the damage that it causes in this world. And if you'll believe that, I'm telling you, say, I can't get over it. You can get over it. You can get over it. Quit letting the world, the godless world, be your final word. Come on, Jesus died because of the sin of the world. You think it just showed up when you got born? I mean, they were, you know, they were burning little children in the Old Testament. I mean, burning them at the stake. I mean, the blood ran through the cities with the slaughter of the children. That's nothing new. And the, 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 the sexual uh, uh, slavery, and that was all, that's nothing new. The only thing that brought people out of such degradation was the gospel of Jesus Christ and men and women who believed that there was something greater than the power of sin. And they preached it, and they told the world, and people believed it, and then people received it. And it's happening again. I said, it's happening again. Don't you be somebody who says, well, I know what they did. I don't think they could be set free. Don't you be somebody who says that. Because you are a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. Corey Ten Boom said that. She saw her whole family murdered because of hatred, because they hid Jews. She saw her whole family, her sister died in her arms in the concentration camp. And she told her, no hate, Corey, no hate. She said, tell the world, they'll believe us because of what we've been through. Turn what was done to you. And instead of being a victim, be a victor. And she became a voice of that. And I believe there are voices Today, and I choose to be one of them. How about you? He began it. Uh, uh, success is not failure. Uh, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. 
It is the courage to continue that counts. Talking to you about continuing. Winston Churchill said that. Success is not final. Failure, uh, a failure is not fatal. The courage to continue. These are statements that are biblically principled truths. Do you understand? I'm trying to ring your bell. I'm trying to find some way for that light to come on and something inside of you to say, oh no, I, sh I will not let my life be consumed by this anymore. I am the redeemed of the Lord and I say so. God, my savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Oh, glory to God. I, oh, I don't know if I have time to read this. This was, I am going to read it. This was a sermon preached by Charles Spurgeon on Sunday, July 17th, 1859. I'm talking to you about continuing and continuing in that during evil days when wicked men are waxing worse and worse and people, they're afraid, they're uncertain. He said, continue in the things of which you've heard for the word of God is inspired by God. It is not the word of man. Every word of God contains in it the very life of God. It means it's God breathed. It means what he is in him is in it. Hallelujah. So he says, uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he, he, was, uh, uh, what he, he was called the prince of peach, uh, preachers. He was able to uh, speak to people uh, so effectively and communicate so well for so many years. Uh, lots of things I could say, but just let me say this on, um, uh, on continuing in the things of God, God doing what he's done before. When people hear about what God used to do, one of the things they say is, oh, that was a long while ago. And this was 1859. Oh, that was a long while ago. They say things like, they imagine that times have altered since then. Sounds like exactly what you hear. This was 1859. This is the same way people talk today in 2020. He said, um, they imagine things have altered since then. They say uh, things like, I can't, I can believe anything about the Reformation the largest accounts that can possibly be given. I can take it in. And so I, I, could I concerning Whitfield or Wesley. See, I mean, you know, he's talking about the first great awakening. I mean, you know, he's talking about the, the Reformation, Martin Luther, the just shall live by faith. He's saying, you know, I mean, you know, to you, that's like, oh, is that just a story or did it happen? But he was living a little closer to it, you know, and he's saying he was not close, but, you know, closer than you are, 1800s, and he's saying, you know, people can say, oh, I believe God did that, and I can believe that he did bid it for Whitfield and Wesley. All that is true. They did labor vig vigorously and successfully, but that was many years ago. Things were in a different state then from what they are now. I feel like I'm preaching a 2020 sermon. Granted, he said, this is what uh, Charles Spurgeon said, Things are in a different state then from what, uh, a different state then from what they are now. Granted, this is, you know, uh, 1859. He said, okay, all right, so maybe they are different now than they were then. But I want to know what the things have to do with it. I thought it was God that did it. 
Has God changed? Is he not an immutable God, the same yesterday, today, and forever? Does that not furnish an argument? I love this way of talking. Does that not furnish an argument to prove that what God has done at one time, he can do in another? I think I may push it a little further and say what he has done once is a prophecy of what he intends to do again. Hallelujah, come on. I said if he ever brought him out before, that means he'll do it again. If he ever healed anyone before, that means he intends to heal again. God is just as powerful in the beginning, in the middle, and the finish. He is the same. What changes? It's not God. Life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you think about it. Oh, glory to God. Continue in that which you uh, have, uh, what God has started. One more, and then we're going to pray for the sick and, and get filled with the Holy Ghost if you don't pray in other tongues. Now, listen, you say, well, I don't think I need to pray in tongues. I don't think it's necessary for me. You know, there is no scripture in the Bible that says that. Did you know that? There is not one scripture anywhere in the Bible that says it's not necessary. Did you know that? It might be in some log book of some church, but it's not in the Bible. In fact, the exact opposite is in the Bible. Jesus said, don't leave this place until you are filled with the power of God. It's like he said, it's absolutely necessary. The, the disciples never went anywhere and said, you know, it's not really necessary, but if you'd like to. They would say, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they would lay their hands on them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, just a few of them who, who it was for. No, there's no scriptures like that. I was raised in the Baptist church. Don't look at me like that. I know what you're thinking. I wasn't just raised in the Baptist church. I was a good Bible-believing, underlining, street-witnessing Baptist. I mean, I was once saved, always saved. Get right or get left, turn or burn. <laughs> Don't tell me that, I know. But I found out what the Bible said. And I found out that this gift was not just for a few. It was for all who believed. And that if I chose not to receive, that was my choice, but that wasn't agreeing with God. And you don't have to be filled with the Spirit. You get to be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. All right, one more here. It is God. Philippians 2.13. This is another one here. These are finishing scriptures. I mean, I'm telling you, these are, we could go further, but we're out of time here. Philippians 2.13. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
God is all, listen to these translations. You know, I, it, get different translations and read them. But keep the, I like the New King James Spirit-Filled Life Bible. It's, you know, some people like the NIV, but I really like the New King James Spirit-Filled Life Bible. And the reason I like the Spirit-Filled Life Bible is because I've had it for 40 years, maybe 30 years. But it's got all these great references, and it really helps you to connect together things concerning, um, you know, uh, different places in the Word of God. And I, I just really like it. It's, I, I, I don't even know if it's popular anymore, but if you want to know what I like, that's what I like. Um, so, uh, it, it, for, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Good News Bible says, uh, so what I was saying about that is get a good uh, a Bible translation, not a paraphrase, a translation from the original Greek because paraphrases are subject to people's religious ideas and translations. Translations tend to be more accurate uh, to the meaning of the scripture. I love paraphrases, but I do not use them as my primary guide. And so, uh, and I never, there was a real popular Bible out not too long ago, and uh, uh, people, I, we started going to churches, people say, oh, have you heard about, I forgot what it was called now. Uh, but I found out that the person who, uh, uh, it was a paraphrase, who wrote it was a universalist. And he didn't even believe in repentance of sin. And he was just, you know, it wasn't even, he was trying to get people to take out, uh, you know, anything. Repentance was not even in it. And there was no words for that. And I thought, well, why in the world? People didn't know. They just liked somebody read a translation. They liked how it sounded. And so they just, it's kind of like, you know, I'll take that. No, don't just take it. Don't take anything just because somebody preaches it. Find out for yourself that it's true. Find out for yourself. Brother Hagin would say all the time, don't believe it just because I say it. And if somebody tells you to believe it just because they say it, well, you know, love them anyway because they're probably just preaching. But just know that just because they say it doesn't mean it's like my granddaughter came to me, you know, before I left here. And she said, did you know mascara is made out of bat poop? I said, what? She said, yeah, it's true. Mascara is made out of bat poop. I said, who told you that? She said, uh, somebody at the church. I said, and just because somebody told you that, you believe it? Well, it was an adult. I said, just because an adult told you, you believe it? Well, it's on the Internet. Just because it's on the Internet, you believe it? So I did a little research, and guess what I found out? Mascara is not made out of bat poop. There's a word of what's in mascara that's real close to what bat poop is, and somebody just got, you know, misinformed and stuck it out there. And so now everybody in my, my granddaughter's, you know, 10-year-old class is all saying, mascara is made out of bat poop. And I said, guess what, Caroline? It's not made out of bat poop. I showed it to her, and she went, oh, <laughs> okay. All right. I said, but that's a good lesson, isn't it? Just don't believe it because somebody says it. Praise the Lord. Brother Hagin said, I don't remember how he said, believe uh, half of what you see and none of what you hear or something. I don't remember. Something like that. It's a good, good. I'm telling you, even if you think, oh, I saw it. Even if you, like Brother Hagin, he thought he was pastoring. He saw a man go into a bar and that man had been at church the day before and he thought, oh, well, I guess he's backslid. He's, you know, he's walking away from God. Now, this was in the, you know, 50s, long time ago. And he saw him go to the bar, and he said, oh, God, that's what. And he said the Lord immediately spoke to him and said, you don't know 
He said, you may have seen him walk into that bar, but you didn't see him on his bed that night when he went home. And he said, oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. And he said, you don't know. Don't ever think you know just because you saw something. Brother Hagin said, forgive me, Lord, and he never did that. He said, I will never be a part of another man's failure. If they fail, it'll be because of what they did, not because of what I did. I'll be gone Sunday. Y'all come back. All right. Philippians. It is God which works in you. Okay, so let me give you this one. I'm almost done. It is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Barclay's translation. Our good news, I was going to give it to you earlier. God is always at work in you, always at work in you, to make you willing and able to obey his own purpose. God is always at work in you. For it is God who is at work in you, Barclay says, to put into you the will to desire and the power to achieve what his purpose has planned for you. Literally, he's saying there is a divine energy that is at work in you, the unequivocal will of God that is putting forth in you the power continually, constantly, in every moment, active at every second that will cause you to change your character, your behavior. He puts into you, God is continually working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You say, I just don't, I don't have the willpower to do what God wants me to do. No, no, you just need to find out what Philippians 2.13 says. God's power is at work in you. His power, you've got the power of God working. That's what he's doing in you. That's what God's doing in you. Making you willing and able to do his purpose. It is God every moment releasing his divine power to change us. There is never a second that God is not working in our hearts, in our wills, in our character to bring us into the place he has called us to. God is continually at work in you. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, praise the Lord. I guess I'm going to have to finish here. I'll give you this one. So he began it and he'll never abandon it. He will continually never tire, never give up, never abandon, and he will also equip you and you, he has made you to finish. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, you do, don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. You run in such a way that you may obtain. You run in such a way, it's like uh, one translation says, run hard for the finish line. He said, I like how he says it, uh, those running a race, uh, you, uh, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? So in other words, all of us are called to run. 
all of us to run. And the word, uh, when he says race there, it's the word where we get our word stadium. And it literally means that when you are running your race, that it is on public view. This is not a private affair. You are made to be on public view because it's no telling how far somebody who is living by faith, how far their life will go. Just ask Abram. Although he was one man, he was became a father of multitudes. Why? Because he chose to walk by faith and not by sight. Your life of faith is a life that is uh, on public view. It is affecting the lives of others, and it is causing others to be able to run their race. Hallelujah. Oh, you think it's all about you, but I'm telling you, it's never just about you. That's a whole nother sermon. I have to go for, forward, so I won't. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 says this, and we're through. Therefore, since we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of of witnesses. Can I get a witness? Oh, you got one. Abraham, Joshua, David. Woo! I'm telling you, you got some witnesses. Uh, Rahab, you got, he says, so we have so great a cloud. In other words, this is not something that's never been done before. You are part of something that's already been going on. Come on, that's your crowd. You say, I ain't got nobody cheering for me. Oh, you got the heroes of faith. They are witness. They are not just, they didn't just run for them. They ran for you. He said, we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside. This is what they did to run their race. It's the same thing. Lay aside, I don't have time to go into it all, but we'll, maybe when we come back sometime we'll walk, talk about it more. Lay aside every weight. Now, if he says to lay aside every weight, that means that ev there is nothing that is able to keep you from running your race. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run. With endurance, the race, I like this part, that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I want to stop, but I can't. Let us lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily beset us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Literally, the word there, when he said it is set before, it describes a course or a race, a course that has been predetermined. In other words, you know, this is, it's kind of like Jesus went before you, you know, that story of that guy who was walking through a minefield and they told him, they said, uh, you know, that general, and they had, they had a soldier, true story, 
And he said, they put a soldier in front of me, and they said, sir, just follow that soldier because we know this is a minefield where there have been many mines laid by the enemy, but we know the path that's been cleared, and the soldier knows that path. So you walk where he walks, and we know that you'll make it through. But don't go, don't go anywhere else besides where he goes. He says, run with endurance the race set before us. How are you going to run that which is? before you that's predetermined Jesus knows the answer to every problem he's the healer for every hurt he's the restorer of every damaging situation looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith say how are you going to get through it keep your eyes on Jesus what do you mean by that find out what he says about it, and then let that determine how you move. Praise the Lord. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. God has set before you. You're not smart enough to figure out your course in life. You may be smart, but you're not that smart. But there is someone who is. And when you don't know what to do, just make sure you're hooked up with the one who does. And you will finish. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.